For March 20th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 768, The Labors of Brocules. It's the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are sitting together talking over uh, the things that we've seen, the things that we've heard, the things that we've enjoyed in the world. We enjoy them more when we talk about them together. I'm uh, Matt Rather. I'm joined by my friend Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you? Matt, I love you, Matt. (laughs) I I love you too. I love you too, Pete. Uh, All right. You're my brother, Matt. Absolutely. Absolutely. My brother. I appreciate that. All right. I'm glad your family created you so that you could do all the things that have led you to this moment. Oh, that's that's <laughs> nice. I've I feel like they you know they have they have less to do with it than than my own will. But that's uh you know that's I, a, I'm going to keep doing this for nine minutes, and you have to stand silently in the back with your hands crossed. You know, this is I, about the topic. I'm 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 teasing the topic. I'll back away. I'll back when I away. think when I think of my friend, my brother, Pete Fenzel. I think of a little child named Astyanax. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think of how during the sack of Troy, <laughs> many heroes fought. Many of them covered themselves in glory. <laughs> and one little child was thrown. <laughs> just <laughs> winged off of off of the and the god said to that child, "Look, you can grow up, or you can just cash in your chips now." No, I'm not. I'm not that's a, it's it's obscure. No one knows what we're talking about. We should yeah, we, have to explain, we should get we into it. Explain. So, so a friend of yours texted you a a, a YouTube video of something, yes. and yes. you shared that you shared that with me. Can you describe a remarkable, a great YouTube video? <laughs> and it's going to be our topic for today. Yeah. This can, is a wonderful. Can, can you describe what it is, just uh, just what the thing is, so we have a, a basis from which to proceed? Sure. Of course. So, as you know, Matt, you're from Los Angeles, right? I've Yeah, yeah the, the bleeding edge, you know? All right. And you know how in some places in Los Angeles, the sidewalk has people's names on it in stars, right? It does, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so this is the Hollywood Walk of Fame, right? Where a celebrity, after they've, you know, a movie star, after they've, uh, I guess they could be TV stars, they could be music stars, uh, after they've been around the block enough and they've accrued enough fame and influence, have the opportunity, I think, to pay <laughs> to have their, do you have to pay for it? I'm, I actually don't yeah, know the I details. Think you, I think you do. I think you're invited to pay for it. So you have to be invited. There still is a thing. It's not like I could go get a, a star no, on no, a no, Holly, no, no. Hollywood Walk of Fame uh, because I had a, a non-speaking role in the television show Modern Family this one time. (laughs) Okay, I want to say something right now. Laughter sometimes comes from the release of tension and the sort of juxtaposition of ideas. I think we're going to be laughing a lot during this podcast. I want to say up front, I think the thing that we're going to talk about is uncategorically awesome. I'm a big fan of it. It's beautiful. I I don't mean to tear it down. But no, I'm no, laughing no, no, no. about it because it's just so it's so wonderful and amusing in so many different ways. I think you so, laugh. Yeah. I think you laugh for a lot of reasons. Hold, yeah. hold on, this is the podcast now, Pete. I think we laugh for a lot of reasons, <laughs> right? Like there's a laugh of of kind of recognition. Yep. You know, there's a laugh of release of of tension. There's a laugh of just kind of like joy and delight. That's actually maybe less a laugh and more a kind of like exclamation of joy and delight. You know, and that's mm-hmm. I think all of those have a have a uh, thing here, Pete. There's there uh, there's a little bit of rather family history that I, I'm not sure you know. Do you know that my my grandmother, who was an actress, has a star on the the Hollywood Walk of Fame? You know, I knew that she had accomplished quite a bit in her career and uh, had been award winning and very famous. I did award, not know that award she nominated award nominated. nominated she, was, okay. she was nominated for the the best supporting actress. Oscar in the the first year of that category, which I believe is 1936. Though I'd have to look it up to to gotcha. to check it. But yeah, she was a she was a child actor. Uh, she was the first Nancy Drew on film. Oh, um, okay. And she uh, she uh, started. In, uh, she was a, a, a smaller part in Now Voyager, the you know the famous movie that's on TCM all the time. And uh, did did a whole bunch of other stuff, and she um, 
she uh, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So I go visit her whenever I'm down in that neighborhood. It's not a neighborhood that real Los Angeles people go to. It's right. like Times Square in that like there's a lot of super touristy stuff there. The traffic is apocalyptic, even in a city known for apocalyptic traffic. And like it's just not, you know what I mean? It's not like a place that you'd go. But whenever I find myself, whenever I have to go there for for some other thing, the uh for example, the like the second city Los Angeles outpost is there. And if you are going to go to a show, if you have a friend who's doing a show at the second city theater, you have to go there. And I always go, uh I always go visit my grandmother when i uh when i do there i take a uh, i take a rag and i polish her star Aww. off just so that you know it is it is not a clean boulevard either <laughs> either uh you know morally nor sanitarily so yes. i you know i just bring you know i don't like bring products i just you know give it a little buff up the buff up the, the metal parts to make it shine so yes there are there are uh, stars on the ground and i think like the hollywood chamber of commerce you know uh invites people to pay <laughs> to yes. to have um uh to have their name you know put in a in a star on the ground in the the Hollywood Walk of Fame and apparently uh recently the actor Michael B Jordan was uh, so invited and it was so uh, celebrated exactly yes michael b jordan he of killmonger of the wire of so many other wonderful things creed of course creed 3 being a his uh a directorial piece of his mm-hmm. so uh and he of uh of also of where's wallace and whatnot uh, it has now uh, of, got of, a st- of Tom's Clan- Tom Clancy's without remorse on Amazon uh, Amazon Prime streaming. I think and he, is, he is he is an actor who works, though of course he is also very high status at the moment. Uh, he used to, he also a Fruitvale Station, right? Uh, frequent or at least sometimes collaborator with Ryan Coogler uh, of high and low culture. Uh, an actor's actor, a man's man, et cetera, et cetera. Michael B. Jordan was getting a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And in the dedication ceremony, uh, there were speeches made about him, you know. And so so the setting is like under some sort of awning or tent or something. It's like open air and there's a podium and people come up and they're making speeches about Michael B. Jordan and about his induction or uh, his cementing into the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And Jonathan Majors, a.k.a. Kang the Conqueror himself, right, a.k.a. He Who Remains on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, came up and gave this nine-minute-long speech that is, I guess, fair to say about Michael B. Jordan, about in every sense of the word, <laughs> um, which is just rhetoric. It was rhetorically, thematically, uh, orationally, one of the best speeches I've seen in a very long time. It was just, it was funny, it was profound, it was confusing, it was brilliant, and it was just this wonderful speech. And we're going to link to it in the comments or in the post for this uh, podcast and the podcast notes, and then we'll also post a link to it on our Discord if you want to join and watch it there. I don't want to praise it too much, but the person who sent this to me said that it made them cry in the first minute. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. This speech from... Jonathan Majors uh, about Michael B. Jordan, especially compounded by the fact that it was being made in this Times Squarey place in a rather high rhetorical style with watchability and seriousness, but also personability. I mean, we're going to talk about everything about the speech, but I thought it was really great. And I, I thought that it was worthy of being overthought. Uh, and definitely something we wanted to talk about uh, on the podcast. I, I only cited Kang the Conqueror for Jonathan Majors. Of course, I've, I did not watch Lovecraft Country, but I heard he was also great in that. Uh, and uh, fellow, you know, a, a fellow, a fellow bulldog, though not of the undergraduate variety. Uh, so a certain uh, positive impartiality from us in that regard for him and his rhetorical style, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yes, <laughs> um, yeah. So, did you watch this speech, Matt? Did you I watch did. the? Yeah. Well, okay. you sent the video. You sent the video around, and I, you know, we all we all watched it. And I was, yeah. I mean, I was I was struck by, you know, I guess I was struck by a, a number of things. Like one, one. I I think it's interesting that we we want to talk about this now. Um, the the Oscars were a week ago. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> I didn't even watch the Oscars. No, but I watched yeah. this. Well, right. No, I watched <laughs> I I watched both. And, yeah. you know, the Oscars actually there were a lot of just kind of the sweep by everything everywhere, which, you know, 
I we really loved as a as a movie, right? Like and and the kind of the historic win for Michelle Yeoh and the the just a celebration of something that was. It it always you know in in high school film class, Pete, in high school film class, which was the thing that my high school had because did I mention I grew up in Los Angeles? Yes, um, of course. We uh, do you know where Canoga Park is? You can tell me later. <laughs> yeah. Well, do do you want to know where it is, or do you want to know like how to get there? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> from here you would probably take the get on the ten. Um, and that's uh. Yeah, we say the in front of our in front of our highway numbers here. But the um, we watched uh, Breathless. We watched Jean Luc Godard's Breathless, right? Yeah. And uh, and our our uh, film teacher at the time made the the slightly trenchant uh, the, the the trenchant not slightly trenchant. It either is or it isn't trenchant. Um, the trenchant observation uh, that a lot of people really approach Jean-Luc Guitar at the end of at, at, after Breathless cuz it it blew up in art houses all all around and like it might have crossed over it was maybe just a little too arty to to cross over and was like man if you could take all that like exciting arty juice you have and just pour it into a slightly more commercial glass, just a slightly more crowd pleasing, slightly more accessible vessel, right? Like it would, it, it would just, it would blow up. It would take over the world. And to me, a little bit, that's what everything everywhere all at once is. And I say that not to, not to slight it, but like it was produced, you know, it was produced in part by the Russo brothers of, you know, Marvel cinematic universe fame, like who make the, the biggest of the big commercial movies. And in an interview that I read with them in the Hollywood Reporter, they, they like read, they, they said, Hey, we, we just took the Daniel sensibility and like just edged it, just kind of bent it a little bit towards uh towards commercialism and so this this film like took over you know took over everything and it was it was wonderful but all the speeches sorry there's a long way around the barn to make a, a only tangentially related point right but pete all the speeches were in some sense a celebration of self right like because they are thanking the academy or thanking all the people who got you there and the achievement but like i i notice all the time and i bristle uh a little bit when people describe the cast of a film as my cast or a costume designer as my costume designer my composer my editor right because you know presumably those people don't like to be uh, they, they don't want to be yours. They are theirs. They, you know, they want self determination and agency. And and I think there's and and also a, a lot of the um, a lot of the speeches uh, referenced in in a way that I think was earned, frankly, but like still touched on this trope, the kind of the follow your dreams trope, because you had a lot of people who like uh, had been in the industry for a long, a long, long time. Um, who were being recognized in this, you know, incredible way that, uh, you know, they, they had, had stuck with it. I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, selection bias or I suppose survivorship bias, right? Like the people who are getting Academy Awards are going to be the people who, who stuck with it. So they're going to give that advice, whether or not it's good advice for, for everyone. But it's all a celebration of, it's all a celebration of the self. And, um, it's it's really interesting to see an actor stand up at a podium, right, yards away, yards away from where the Oscar ceremony is held, and for 10 minutes sing the praises of someone else. It's sort of it's revolutionary almost. It's <laughs> it's really uh it's really like touching in a way to see someone just very very sincerely. And the thing I was I like the first thing I you know I noticed about this is just how sincere, how heartfelt, you know how how sort of truly deeply heartfelt this was. Uh, this speech was, and it was about someone else. It was really like a a, a gift or an act of service or a you know, a, a, a song of praise. And I, I don't know that, that, that sort of touched me a lot. Jo, uh, Jonathan Major's speech at Michael B. Jordan's Hollywood Walk of Fame induction or re- unveiling uh, ceremony. Yes. You know, that's really well put. 
that it was a really earnest, really intent speech by, a at this point, big celebrity actor about another person that felt like it had both personal and also substantive things to say. Not that personal things aren't substantive, but you know what I mean? Things that would be relevant to us and then things that are also only relevant to him. Uh, I the, to, to clarify for everybody, I should add this key element here. What makes the speech really overthinkable is its antithesis. Uh-huh. It really interweaves two different speeches that are that are totally different yep. in the kind of praise that they're offering and also completely different in how they're framing the event that you're watching. Mm. So one of the things that speeches do is, you know, ritualize uh transitional moments, moments of change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Michael B. Jordan is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This is a a milestone for him. This is something new in his career. It commemorates that his career has changed to an extent there's a before and there's an after of this. I think we could all intuitively understand this. You know, when Weird Al Yankovic got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a lot of stuff had already happened to him. And there was other stuff that was going to happen in the future that was going to be different. Uh, I don't think we're quite in that place with Michael B. Jordan. He still is quite a bit younger than my, than Weird Al Yankovic was. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like this is that the the ceremony is happening because there is some event that's taking place. And the speeches that are being done, I think, when they serve their purpose, are are, are commemorating and articulating and framing a ritualized meaning for the transition Mm. as a social event Mm -hmm. and as a cultural event. And so Jonathan Majors really effortlessly gives two completely contradictory speeches (laughs) interwoven with each other in a just easy breezy way that a very different style and very different detail and, and very different key points. And, uh, and yet they still come together. I describe it as antithesis because the speech as it proceeds through these two ideas uh, does seem to find all these natural points of connection and this natural progression from its beginning through its middle to its end, uh, and also its relationship between microcosm and macrocosm, big and small things. And, and the two ideas that are being articulated is one, uh, Michael B. Jordan is a big celebrity who's done a lot of big celebrity things. Through the process of working with him, I have become his friend, and that is something that I cherish because he's great and being his friend is great. Oh, not being his friend. No, let me rephrase that. Not being his friend is great. He is a great friend. And he's done all and, and and the the speech goes into detail about very specific great friend things that Michael B. Jordan has done that to deserve being called a great friend. And, you know, this includes stuff like, hey, his family is in the audience. I love you. You know, your family's great. You're great. You know, I'm really glad we get to hang out and not just be coworkers, but also be friends. And in that sense, the speech is is inviting you all into an intimate moment. Celebrities are real people, just like us kind of thing, except it feels actually much more grounded and real. He even gets into a couple of places where, and these are some of the places where he starts to bridge with the other topic, where he interacted in a personal way with some of Michael B. Jordan's work in a way that also resonates with the way that they seem to sustain each other personally as friends. And so it's like, okay, we're all here to commemorate this guy. It's like a best man toast at a wedding. Part of the transition of the wedding is who has this guy been before now, you know, and uh, and let's ask someone who knows him well and let's share in the intimacy of that. And, you know, Jonathan Majors in this speech mentions that Ryan Coogler has just made his own speech in which he's talked much more about Michael B. Jordan's substantive professional accomplishments. And so now Jonathan Majors gets to talk about the personal accomplishments. And so that's one part of the speech. And this isn't all concentrated in one place. It, it dips in and out in a braid through the speech. The other part of this speech is a mythological uh, reinterpretive retelling of the uh, story of Hercules, wherein the ostensible point is that having his name cast in brass and concrete on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is commensurate with Michael B. Jordan making the ultimate apotheosis transition from man to God. Right. That that he has undergone labors, that he has been tested, that that he had was offered the opportunity to live an easy life and instead chosen a life of virtue where he does difficult things because they are important. And as a reward for that, he is he is transformed and transfigured and is becoming this ideal. He is becoming this symbolic entity 
and, and that this is something that everyone has always intuitively felt about him, that, that Michael B. Jordan has always had this aspect to him that people thought on some level meant that he was in that space between people that just exist and then people who become ideas or people who become myths or legends, right? And he locates this in the idea of legacy, which is also another bridge between friendship and divinity and godhood, right? It's, it's just like, this is the, the moment where he says that Michael B. Jordan has become God is like a very strange moment, mm. right? Because because I kind of feel like I know what he's saying because because of the Yale thing. Like, I feel like, I have to assume that my, that um, Jonathan Majors is approaching this with a fair amount of background and kind of dramaturgical study, study of classical literature and history, right? That like um, he's not speaking about personal belief. He's not saying you should pray to Michael B. Jordan, not in that sense, but more in the old Greek heroic sense of, you know, people being things that, you know, live and love and suffer and die and gods being like ideas that shape the world and heroes being beings who are able to transcend being individuals and become this kind of force, this kind of noumenal force in relation to the world of forms and all that stuff about like, um, you know, bringing into reality the things about existence that are uh, narrativizable uh, through these sort of vessels that are sort of greater than human. Um, and so, yes, so there's like, you know, hey, there's this like this time that we hung out, right? Like I like I allude to the fact that maybe we hooked up with some girls like one time. <laughs> and then on the other side, it's like, you know, we all kind of felt like Michael B. Jordan was dipped by his heel in the river sticks. Right? And, like, <laughs> and it's impenetrable. But for the one fleshy part of his of the back of his leg, which will some course at some point, of course, uh, be his demise. But we all he all he knew that was the deal he was taking when he signed up, you know, to make Fruitvale Station. Right. Like that's that's uh, and, and I'm joking about it because because it, for one of the many reasons we're talking about, uh, but I'm not I'm not just bashing it because the 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 rhetorical elegance of combining the two ideas does, I think, serve to call into question both of them in interesting ways. And it does make you at least make me wonder about hyperbole in this hmm. context, you know, like um, and I mean, in the old school. Right. You know, the the figures of speech. The, this was a speech that was delivered straight faced wearing a pink fedora, right? Was it pink or purple? Something, yeah, it was delightful. And it was delightful. It was. I described it as, as he's, he looks like the black FDR. He's just, he's wearing this <laughs> incredibly like straight rimmed, jaunty old school hat. That's, that's, you know, presidentially dressed up, but you know, day at the races dressed down, mm. you know, he's got a, he's got a blazer on with no tie, you know, and he's, uh, I think it was purple. Um, and he's, uh, and, and he's speaking at this podium like an early 20th century, like stump politician. Sure. Right? Like, like, yeah, with or just, like, a, with or like a Chautauqua or a, like a revival tent yes. or something like that. You know, there's a word you don't hear often enough. Chautauqua. Chautauqua. Yes, exactly. That's, I, only, that's a, I only know it because I, I read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance at an inappropriately young age. But the, yeah, don't we all? <laughs> I still have that. I want to read that book again now that I'm old enough to, to appreciate it because yep. I feel like everybody reads that book too young. It's well, a good book. I, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, especially if you're a if you're a kind of like philosophically minded, you know, smarter than average young man, uh, you know, teenager. Well, yeah, it is. It is a little gendered. Yeah, it's that's a, for it's sure. the kind of thing that a uh, that an English teacher would would give to you. That and letters yeah. to a young poet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, or like yeah, the two yeah. are the two books that you read that you you read in heaven. I mean, <laughs> I the, there there were certain things I think like giving. I You know, I think there's there's a kind of. Unspoken question in uh, in moments of commemoration, right, like or sometimes it's it's very explicitly spoken, like when a when a, a military honor is given very often there's a ceremony where the very specific rationale you know is uh is you know told like for the the awarding of of this honor like you know so and so such you know such and such a person like with no regard for their safety like you know ran into the burning building and rescued <laughs> 
you know, six of their comrades, right? Yeah. Returning, you know, returning three times until collapsing of smoke inhalation, you know, on the threshold moments before the, the whole conflagration engulfed the structure, right? Like, and that, that, like, that, that story, I'm sorry, I don't mean to like, by telling an exaggerated uh, uh, instance of one of these things, I don't mean to trivialize it. No, 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 of, of course things. not. But the, but, you know, yeah, I mean, we are, we are in the land of hyperbole. And so it's, it's, uh, uh, I guess it's important to note that. So, like the, the other things, like getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it's you know the the proximate cause. You know, is that <laughs> you were invited by the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce <laughs> yeah. and you know paid them thirty thousand dollars or something yeah. like yeah. that. But but no, like what what happened to what happened to deserve this? And I feel like the two speeches, the two kind of like antithetical speeches that you allude to, are two different ways. Uh, two different rationales, you know, for, uh, why Michael B. Jordan sort of deserves, why it is, you know, fit, fitting and proper that yeah. we should, uh, that we should do this. Though, you know, of course, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this stretch <laughs> of Hollywood Boulevard because it is filthy. <laughs> it is covered with more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but that, you know, that like it's it, right. And that that it's sort of the the I think the the kind of the specific things like Hercules and Hades, like in this one, you know, this one day when we were shooting and it was really hot. But Michael yeah, kept yeah. going <laughs> and, anyway. Right. Like the kind of the pathetic, the pathetic drop but the like the the, you know, or like he's getting a belt, you know, in as Creed. He's he's winning a, a championship belt uh, as as this character and like. Like, you know, in order to be the actor doing these things, he actually has to put himself through a great ordeal physically and mentally, uh, great feats of physical and mental toughness in order to portray this character who who does these things. <laughs> and, you know, it's no accident, says Jonathan Majors, right, that that one of the one of the labors of Hercules, right, was to retrieve a belt, Um it's a little more complicated. It was the girdle of Hippolyta, the queen of, of the Amazons. But like, yes, okay. Okay. You know, we'll give you that he was, uh, he retrieved, uh, a belt, <laughs> you know, yep. that like, um, so that like these things amount each one to a, a, uh, a great labor, a great kind of effort and feat of, of overcoming or of conquering or of, you know, achieving that, like, uh, that together amount to a rationale, um, for this. And in the antithetical speech, right? It's uh, these things amount to a great, like, great, great efforts, great moments in broing. You know yes. what I mean? Like, that there's a, that there's a, not just a, you know, kind of heroic aspect to it, but a, but a personal aspect to it that is, it, it, it's important that it's just not like generalizations about, oh, he's, he's a great friend. He's great to his family. He's, it's not these things. It was like, no, it happened. He came to me in Canoga Park, right? an angel an angel of the lord appeared unto <laughs> me and it was michael p jordan knocking at the door of uh my my motel six in in canoga park canoga park by the way gateway to Reseda, home of oh, daniel Larusso. that makes sense you know um but that uh right by the way like, this the speech was in medias race there is a flashback <laughs> to Canoga Park where they first met or whatever we first met. But it's like he says, like, we didn't know each other, which like launches you backward in time after he's already said, like, this is my close, close friend who I really love. And I love his family. When he came to me at the Canoga Park, we didn't know each other. Right. right? It's like, oh, man, you know, we're launching backward. We're going back to uh we're going back to back to Ithaca, people. But sorry, yes, it's, you were, no, you were yeah, saying. and it works really well as rhetorical. It works really well as as oratory, right? Yeah, but it it would be less. Uh, it, it would be a little eye rolling as uh, as a plot of a movie, right? Because it would be like <laughs> Jonathan Major takes the stage and says, "I want to tell you about my friend, my brother." My, you know, buddy, whom I love deeply, Michael B. Jordan. And then, like, there's a title card that says three years earlier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, no, it's, it's good. It works in the micro on a, yeah. you know, as, as a, as a speech. I just like, I've, I've seen too many of those, uh, I've seen too many of those films. So anyway, there we are, right? Like, uh, 
uh, doing these, and and it's important that it's it's crystallized in these in these specific things, like the you know the time that we hung out and then we went and hooked up with some girls, or the time you know that we had a meal uh, together at a diner in Texas, or the time that that uh, he showed up uh, at my Motel Six in Canoga Park to like talk me through some like business uh, issue that was that was happening because the deal was not getting done for a movie in time or something 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 right like all these things were were the these are the labors they're not the labors of hercules but they're they're the labors of like friend uh you know they're the labors of of like buddy cules you know um of uh, of bro cules there's the joke they're the labors of bro cules and that's the uh that's you know um an alternative rationale to the heroic labors to uh to being um the reason why Michael B. Jordan sort of deserves, why he merits this honor that we're giving them him today. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a couple of moments because one of the other – yeah, okay. I, I, there's so much I want to say. I'll slow down just a moment, take a breath and appreciate, and then and then express. So form and function. I think part of the reason why it works – Conventions like that work in this speech is that they are supported by scaffolding on a sort of small tactical level within the speech that creates and reinforces the forms and supports the forms that are being used. Uh, This is not a this is not a book that's written to be a movie. This is a speech written to be a speech. Mm. (laughs) And uh, so, for for example, um, there's a part where he's describing the section where he describes them them doing scenes, boxing scenes, where it's really hot and uncomfortable, and I think where Michael B. Jordan might even be a little bit injured uh, because of the amount of punching that has been going on, real or fake or accidentally otherwise. And yet there's these there's these two sentences he says. He says his empathetic ability is being pushed to the nth degree. And he's got to deal with my crazy ass, right? Like, and, and when you think about, and that's a big laugh because it's like tension, intensity, formality, and then like informality, friendship, you know, self-deprecation, right? And uh, and and the language that is used, you know, which story each of those sentences is telling. And it sort of goes back and forth. Like this sentence is about talking about the apotheosis story. This sentence is about talking about this is my good friend story. And and I think at the end, he he, he lists a bunch of these. And at the end, he says, and I'm giving him hell. And he says it like intensely, you know, and, and that ties it up because I'm giving him hell is both because he's my friend and we're working together and he tolerates me. Right. And and uh and that's part – and I mean tolerate in a major sense. Like he accepts that I am there, you know, and, and, and we, we are together. You know, we exist together and we, we are and express ourselves together as friends, which is like a big deal. Uh, but also, you know, I'm the hell and he's Hercules. You know, the, the, I'm the antagonist of the movie. He's the protagonist. But also, you know, the trial and tribulation he's going through is coming from me – not to undercut it or support it, but to rhetorically tie together the two threads. Um, and, and he he hits the note, I'm giving him hell, and he like opens his eyes a little bit. And you can tell that sort of both the both antitheses, you know, both the thesis and the antithesis there, I don't know which is which, uh, are definitely are fused together in a beautiful little moment of poetical ambiguity. Um he describes him acting with mythic effort, with a godlike ability. I love I love the part where he goes. And the haters come. The haters come, bro. Right, like, and he and he goes into full preacher mode, or like prophet, right, about how the haters are going to come and say that the things that he did are bad. And he says it in a just enough of a joke way that it's the kind of thing your friend would tell you, like, oh, you know, don't let the haters get you down, man. It's just the haters. But also, like, Moses raised his hand, and and the uh, and the sea, or he lowered his hand, and the sea swept in, and all the haters on their chariots were swept away by the might of the Lord. Right, like it's like it's like both things at once in the way that they're he's threading it all together, uh, and and I just really I really love the the uh, the agility of it, mm-hmm. um, and it and the way that it articulates and, and connects the both both uh, both threads. Um, I also loved you know what moment I really loved is. Mm. Is, is when he um, – and I'll, I'll slow down so that you know I keep getting excited. You know how I am on these podcasts. I always get excited. But this was a fun watch. He talks about bringing more than a dozen black men from the Yale School of Drama to go watch Creed II in the theater because 
he says that what Michael jo- Michael B. Jordan was doing uh, had some good in it. Not it was good, had some good in it and represented us in the best way possible. So on, think of all of the different ways that the two narratives that are being spun out here are being articulated. This is Creed 2, right? <laughs> this is the one where he fights Ivan Drago. Now, I love Creed 2. We podcasted about Creed 2. We did. I have, I, I have a workout mix of just Creed and Creed 2 music that I use like fairly frequently. Um, but, you know, I don't think a lot of people when they were looking even at the catalog of movies Michael B. Jordan has made would choose Creed 2 as the one that should be like shown to graduate students in the arts to understand like representation, especially black men trying to understand their own uphill battle and representation in this industry and in this culture that they are articulating and expressing and contravening and all this stuff, right? Like you wouldn't necessarily pick Creed 2, but because they're friends, like it's a bro story. And at the bro story, the bros go to watch Creed 2, right? Like like it, it, it feels like it makes sense. I, I'm sure it's drawn from experience and it's it's something of a coincidence but the fact that he says it had some good in it the good there is like the good you know it's like on one hand it's not a perfect movie <laughs> you know, like it has, it has its problems um and it's not i don't think michael b jordan would say creed 2 is his best movie probably not even the best creed movie but uh it had good in it means both that the movie was good and that it was a good time and a good thing to watch and a good thing to bring the bros to go see together but then also that it was morally good and elevated, that it had that sense of noumenal, you know, f- ideal, uh, you know, elevation, you know. Um, uh, sure. Like, that, l- let's be literal, right? Like it had good in it. Like the movie contained something that some something called good. Right. Yes. Like the movie wrapped around it encircled it. It, you know, was was about right. Like, yes, uh, a a good um, and that like the 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 movie, the movie can be good. Like it can be, as you say, enjoyable, fun, you know, uh, well-made, artistic, well-acted, uh, excellent in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. But it also like it encircles, it encloses uh, the good. Right. And that if Michael B. Jordan is working on it, you know, uh, his friend is saying that you know a little bit of the good a little a little uh, uh chip of that you know divine spark right like a little yeah. a little like a chip off that old divine block off that you know rock hard chiseled abs of a Thomas <laughs> Creed you know right is the the uh the, that those that that rock is also the rock of ages right and that like uh mm-hmm. it uh a little bit of the a little bit of the good of the the forma or ideal of the good right like um is transmitted is is contained within that within that film because you know uh because this man worked on it you know because he and yeah. he he brings into the world things uh things that are good and that's just a you know that's just a um a, a wonderful thing to say i i think it's a wonderful thing to celebrate also right you know you have a you have an acting school environment where the the goals for inclusion and representation right probably are ahead of the of the actual industry. One would you know? hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, a you hope that the schools are a vanguard, right? Yeah. Um, but that then also, like, you you realize that you know the the uh, that this is true of all all drama schools, right? Like of all art schools, really. That you're training dozens and hundreds of people for a profession that can take maybe one or two of them. Right. And really, you know, really capitalize on on uh, on what they have to offer. And all the more so, you know, if you are in an underrepresented group Um, and if you're in an in, in a group that is represented more in the academy relative to the the commercial industry. And I sort of think of that. So I think of that moment, you know, of like going going to the theater to see to see Creed, right? And if you're going from the Yale School of Drama, you're going to to uh, one of two places, right? Like you're either going to Orange or you're going, 
to North Haven. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you have to drive. The, the movie theater was driven out of business, right? right. Yeah, Although, didn't they put one in on Temple Street? I don't actually know if it's still there. Oh, yeah, there but, was an yeah. art, but I don't know if it survived. I don't know if that yeah. one survived COVID. But yeah, man, yeah. that was a good that was a good theater for a while. <laughs> um, the Sorry, I lived in New Haven for too many years. Uh, but the, uh, you know, you think of that like, you think of that as a field trip and like so much so much hope and promise and celebration and, and, you know, I don't know, a certain kind of pathos even is like encoded in that, uh, in that one story, which is like two lines, which is two sentences, yeah. <laughs> which is all of like 12 seconds of, uh, of the speech. And it's just like, it's wonderful to, to bring that. And by the way, you know, not for nothing, but that's what good actors do uh, with right. good writers, right? Is that they like, they create a world in uh, in a sentence and a half, you know? Like, uh, you, you can say that the old King Hamlet did smite the sledded Polak on the ice, right? And you don't need to know the, the, the history of the wars between uh Denmark and Poland uh you don't need to know the thickness of the ice right to understand the, the a good actor will bring the 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 emotional weight of that to life in you know just in the telling of those 10 10 syllables right uh right there anyway oh, yeah. so that's uh that's that's actually that's literally the job but he's very he's very good at it i like sorry brief tangent pete i like oh, yeah. jonathan majors a lot i'm you know i know him mostly from the comic book stuff but he's so so watchable in yeah. uh in all of that stuff and he really does he is one of these people where you feel like he kind of creates he kind of creates a world uh which is very useful i think in the um in the uh, comic book stuff, which is is too often flattened out by the CGI, by the the elaborate phantasmagoria of of you know CGI production design, right? Because it like um, I don't know, it like uh, you, you you get people like who kind of walk into that uh, environment and actually can create an emotional dimensionality to match uh, the visual dimensionality that's that's created in the computers i feel like he's one i feel like benedict cumberbatch was another one um in uh with with dr strange you know um and sure. and yeah he's he he you know is is excellent at it i'm i'm like very curious to see where where his career you know goes like where where it goes to oh definitely so speaking of going, oh. uh, here's there was a fun little triptych. I've also fully agree. I think Jonathan Majors is awesome, and I'm really looking forward to watching more of his stuff. And perhaps I should go back and watch some of his other stuff. Um, but so there's a little hidden triptych. I think it's a triptych. I don't think I missed any of them in the speech uh, where he just uses the word move, um, which has a particular meaning in this context that uh, I, I assume – I mean – the, the example that I it makes me think of, which is a whimsical one, is I believe a Lil Wayne line, which is uh, real G's move in silence like lasagna. Are you familiar with that one? <laughs> no, but it, um, I mean, it reminds me of uh, reminds me of um, what Groucho Marx said, you know, uh, uh, time flies like an arrow and fruit flies like a banana. Yeah, exactly. But the idea of moving or making moves being a, a verb that it in, encompasses a lot of uh, different sorts of social activities and kind of commercial activities and professional activities and stuff. So he uses, he has three phrases in this speech that I picked up where he uses the word move. And these are spread out over nine minutes to refer to, uh, I guess what, uh, situations of Michael B. Jordan. Uh -huh. you know, so, so the first is move around. He describes himself moving around Michael B. Jordan. And what he means is that he's building his career, he's meeting people, he's doing things, he's making moves, and he's living and experiencing things uh, in the vicinity of Michael B. Jordan. And he's been moving moving around him, not literally circling him, but moving around him. But of course, there's an ambiguity because it's both. He's, he positioned himself as sort, of a, as sort of a moon orbiting that Earth or an Earth orbiting the sun, a sort of lesser body moving around a greater body, which, of course, he also references when he talks about how he's prettier and, and – uh, Prettier than he is, he doesn't want to be photographed next to him if he can help it, because he's the he's the handsome guy. But um, it starts with Jonathan Majors saying that he moves around 
Michael B. Jordan. And then he gets into talking about his friendship with Michael B. Jordan. And then he talks and he's talking about the haters and he's talking about the way that Michael B. Jordan comports himself in celebrity life. And he describes him as moving with identity and, and winning. Right. This this notion that he goes through all this stuff and people criticize him like they criticize everybody and, and he has to like do these grueling schedules and he has to deal with everybody's nonsense. But he and he he moves with identity, which is such a wonderful bit of praise to to I, I don't you don't even want to uh, I, I feel like it requires explication, but with, I don't with, want to with diminish it with integrity. Yeah. yeah. Is he saying I thought he says he moves with. I, yeah, but he means in, in integrity. Right. I think so. Um, Okay, cool. I thought he said identity, um, but at the same time, it's the same concept, right? Like he's he's moving and expressing himself. Uh, he's not he's not protecting himself uh, from uh, all of these external threats to you know and sort of dangers and potential pitfalls by shutting himself off. He's bravely moving through these spaces with sort of virtue. It's the road of virtue that he's articulating, right? So it's both. You know, you're my friend and I like the way that you hold carry yourself, but also that, you know, you had a choice between the road to vice and the road to virtue. And part of the road to virtue is, yes, you're a celebrity, but when you talk to people, you have to treat them like human beings. And then also you have to put up with an ungodly amount of garbage from people and you have to not let it shake you in front of everybody uh, in, in a way that um, would diminish you and tear you down. Right. Like you can't do that. And that's part of his sort of heroism, because he's also doing it not just for himself, but for all the black men who need to see somebody who isn't being torn down. And 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 there's sort of a mutual appreciation of it in that way and the dignity and respect that's being shared between them. But but there's that moving with identity where it's both personal and then also uh, kind of mythical. And then the third one is he uh, he he moves uh, through the world. Um, and that's when he's talking about when he's talking about uh, uh, going to see him in the movie theater. Right. Um, and this is like the, the, the bridge between when he's talking about how Michael B. Jordan like helped him when he injured his leg and he like came to him to heal him as if he was a doctor or something. <laughs> right. And he said he said he said that I was going to be OK. And I was right. Like he, <laughs> he attributes to him this sort of power like and I was OK. Right. right. Uh, of this sort of faith healing that takes place. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a creed. I am not worthy to enter under your roof. Yeah. <laughs> only, only say the word and yeah. that, yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. There is again, this kind of like, uh, this humanizing pathetic drop when he says moves through the world, uh, about how much, you know, he, he admires him and how, um, uh, like, that this, uh, you know, that, that, that he's this larger than life figure. And then Jonathan Majors goes on to say, and then he, ins he inspired me to get an Equinox membership. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where yes. it's like, where it's like, yeah. So I realized, I realized I really got to work out because yeah. he's, uh, you know, he's in this, this tip top shape, you know, and has obviously spent a lot of time working, uh, working to make this happen. And so I got to, uh, I got to work out as well. And so I got an Equinox membership. Oh, yeah. I signed up for, uh, you know, Jim. That was they were, wonderful. Really nice uh, chilled eucalyptus towel. It's uh, you know highly recommend. I love. I also love the most Yale part of the speech is when he talks about mezcal. Uh -huh. It's like oh, I'm from Texas, and so I like to drink mezcal. And Michael G. Jordan, he he's had mezcal once. You know, yeah, that was his first time, and and that was great. You know, I'm glad we got to do that. Uh, and he says, and then he has that line where he says, maybe it was the mezcal, maybe it was the divine connection between us. Uh -huh. And that's when he goes on to say, like, you know, let's be friends. And he goes in that wonderful piece about asking another person to be your friend. Mm. And, and so you're building up. It's like Texas and, and tequila. And now you're talking about kind of empires and where people are from and where people are, you know, the sort of fruits of, of prosperity and, and power and it all and, and divinity and divine connection. It all builds up to let's let's be friends. I want to be your friend. Right. And that's and that's a wonderful paradoxical climax anticlimax because it's both the most important thing and also a notable drop in this breadth of scope it goes from such a big scope to such a small scope mm. but it goes also to this scope that feels so important and this the wonderful little iron irony little gordian knot irony uh of uh of progressing into the friendship 
Uh, and then, of course, after that, he just does an effortless pause while like a random motorcycle drives by or mm. something or like a, somebody blows out their like no muffler exhaust on their Dodge Challenger mm. and like revs it driving by. And he just like pauses and then keeps going because they're in a tent on a sidewalk in front of like there is a FedEx kit goes in there somewhere. I had mm-hmm. to stop out there once because I was officiating a wedding in the area and I had to print out the uh, the final ceremony scripts. Um, so I do know that you can find a FedEx Kinkos. It's not called the Kinkos anymore, unless COVID took that from us too. Um, but you can buy T-shirts and stuff from kiosks on the street. But yes, divine connections. <laughs> and uh, I mean, did you connect that part where you said "Let's be friends"? Did that resonate with you in a special way? Yeah, it or did. A particular I mean, way? it's well, I you know, I think that like I was, you know, I was thinking of this. I was thinking recently for reasons about models of male intimacy, you know, mm. and that like uh, that between, you know, between the like, I don't know, the like the flamboyantly homosocial, you know, mm. and the kind of the taciturn, you know, never acknowledged like what what um uh, what what's his name says in City Slickers like my dad and I could never talk. All we talked about was baseball. You know, actually, it said more hopefully, like, but we could always talk about baseball, right? Like that there's, you know, that there, that there's like, uh, I, there are more, <laughs> there are more things there, you know, there are more ways to be close. There are more kinds of like friendship and more kinds of intimacy, you know, more kinds of sort of brotherhood. Uh, and they're not, they don't get for, for, you know, um, perfectly comprehensible but kind of like lamentable and sad reasons they don't get aired you know in uh they don't get aired in the culture a lot and i what i was thinking was that this was a a you know a really kind of touching model of of intimacy between friends that um was was you know really kind of frankly and unapro- unapologetically offered and kind of the love that 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 uh, that people can can have for each other and it's not you don't you don't see that you don't you don't see that talked about kind of frankly between men a lot unless they're gay right like unless it's a unless it's a romantic or sexual uh type of love and that like the aspects of um you know the aspects of of real brotherhood right like uh, the aspects of kind of like friends are the family you choose and sometimes closer than family and and how that can can happen um aren't uh foregrounded a lot and it's really beautiful to see and then add on top of that like not only like well this this came about you know th- this came, this this brotherhood right this fraternity came about because we were like thrown together in the military or this this brotherhood came about because we like underwent something together like we we, we did a big project at work or something and it was huge stressful and we can't you know we were there when when the chips were down for each other and that did it but no like to 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 sort of evince the vulnerability vulnerability right of hey i I like you can we be friends you know like that that's uh i i don't know just uh just a beautiful thing to see so i like i reflected on it a lot when when i was when i heard it because it was um the the sort of the aspect you know the aspect of kind of like models of male intimacy coupled with you know a, a very vulnerable asking for asking for a connection um, was really touching to me. Yeah, it was really great. He um, at the very end of his speech, he trots out the phrase "I love you to the moon and back" mm. at the very end. Are you f- so? I associate this with a very specific work of literature. I don't know if 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 it is ascribable to that. I, I think of it as being from a very specific work of literature and that it has sort of entered the culture as a saying that's used more broadly, has also been copied in other works of literature. It's but, uh it's uh Savage Gardens to the Moon and Back, isn't it? Oh, that's, oh is it? No, it's not. <laughs> I think of the book Guess How Much I Love You, mm. uh, which is a book about rabbits. Um, like Watership Down, but, you know, happier somewhat. And uh, it's it's by Sam McBratney, illustrated by Anita Jerob. I, I read it to my son a lot um, and presumably will read it to my daughter as well when uh, she gets obsessed with it as he is. And it's a story of two rabbits, an older rabbit and a younger rabbit. Presumably it's the rabbit's parents, right? Big nut brown hair and little nut brown hair. And uh, the little rabbit is trying to express to the big rabbit how much – 
you know, how much I love you. And it's like, I love you this much. And the big rabbit goes, I love you this much. Right. And, and the big rabbit's bigger. So it's more right. So it's this, this thing of like, I, I love you this much. I love you this much more because I am like a bigger person. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it, and it, and it ends with the little rabbit kind of being so, uh, kind of gobsmacked by these, the vastness of what this big rabbit is capable of and this wish and desire to be like the big rabbit someday. I wish I had arms that big so that I could love as much as this big rabbit loves. You know, I wish I could jump as high as this rabbit says they can jump right in terms of, uh, as an expression of how much they love me. And the rabbit falls asleep saying, you know, I love you. Uh, you know, to the moon. And, and when the rabbit, little rabbits fall asleep, the big rabbit says, I love you to the moon and back. Um, and, and I, I don't know, I tend to read a lot of these children's books to throw in a little bit of side tangent overthinking in here. Um, I know that, you know, this probably isn't going to be a, uh, Star Trek best of both worlds hour and 45 minute podcast about Jonathan Majors, nine minute speech at the Hollywood walk of fame, but to throw in like a little bit of overthinking here, I tend to feel like a lot of the best children's books have like a secret real solemnity and darkness in them like just a real grief um because of the sort of understanding that the adult has that the child doesn't have about you know like things you know like existence and the world <laughs> um and uh and that this is sort of one of those things um where, because where where does the mother go in the cat in the hat <laughs> You've talked about this before. Where, yes, yes, yes. What murderous or erotic errand is <laughs> is the mother on in the cat and the hat? Right, like the the cat and the hat, like is very, you know, is very dark book. It's about abandonment by your parents and how a bunch of distractions. Uh, you know, cannot palliate that, you know, enormous loss that you feel as you sit at the window staring out, wondering when your caretaker will, uh, will come home. So yeah, hundred percent. The, 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 that's what these, um, you know, that's, that's what these books are about. Yeah. So when the, I, the good yeah, ones yeah. anyway. So when I think about loving you to the moon and back and, and particularly saying it to the little rabbit only after the rabbit has fallen asleep, what it makes me think of is is the little rabbit understands love as this expansive thing and understands time as this thing that grows and the future as this thing that is going to be bigger and greater in love, right? Like I someday I will be as big as the other rabbit and then I will love like that other rabbit loves. And someday I'll jump as high as this rabbit and I'll love as much as that other rabbit uh, loves. And, and isn't this awesome? Isn't this wonderful? You know, like, and I have this anxiety that I'm incapable of doing it now. And I kind of hate the fact that this other rabbit is better at doing this than I am, but I'm also kind of amazed at it. But what the big rabbit knows that the little rabbit doesn't know is that it doesn't go up indefinitely, right? Like, like it's a cycle, you know, it comes back around, Sure. you know? So like, I love you to the moon and back is like, I love you all the way up to the top and then all the way back down to the bottom, mm. you know, like, and that's the part you don't know yet. And that's the part that's for me as the parent. Right. Like, and I'm telling this to you when you're asleep because you don't understand that you mean that to me. And so I want to express it because it's my feeling, but I can't share it with you because you're not in that place where you can understand it. Um, and, and I think that like, I don't I mean, I also have used this in bitmojis, you know, like it was a bitmoji <laughs> at one point where it's like, I love you to the moon and back and it's a rocket ship. Um, and I have, I think I bought a kitschy piece of wood with this painted on it for my wife at one point. And I don't think in that sense, did I think of it as having this sort of meaning, but reading that children's book over and over again, there's this notion of like getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bigger and then getting smaller, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and I think that, um, hearing about the sort of birth of their friendship being told at this con by Jonathan majors, the friendship between Jonathan majors and, uh, and Michael B. Jordan and, and the sort of growth of career and legacy and myth as Michael B. Jordan has become this, you know, superstar, this person whose name is on the ground on the high walk of fame and means a bunch of important things and good things to some people who really need it. Uh, and also is a person that I've come to appreciate of his experience with as his friend, all that stuff. You know, there's this quiet little thing at the end, which is like, someday all this will be gone, you know, and, and I'll still appreciate you, you know, and I'll still love you. It's, it's sort of like the, the, the moment that I take from that. And it kind of chokes me up a little bit. I have no idea whether he intended it or not. 
Um, in fact, just to add, because because people would get mad at us if we didn't address this. Yes, I know the story of Hercules he tells is wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> he tells the myth of Hercules and he does it with such sort of convincing conviction and sincerity that like nobody stops him to be like, that's not the myth of Hercules at all. What are you even talking about? <laughs> right? Like, uh, like, I'm pretty sure the thing about like you could be famous if you work hard but you'll suffer. I think that was Achilles. I'm not sure. Like, like Hercules was given the labors for some bad things that he did, like killing his wife. Right. Like, uh, Hercules was like killed by a coat that caught him on fire with the blood of the centaur when he's betrayed by his other wife, you know? And like, uh, so like, I I I feel like Jonathan Majors' yeah, articulation, the, the, right? The 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 uh, the labors of Hercules are 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 associated with like atonement, right, or yes. penance rather than with kind of overcoming, uh, right, and with apotheosis. Yeah, so exactly. That's, yeah, it's not, but it is. I mean, it is a strong misreading. Yes, you know, exactly. This is a great example of, of a strong misreading. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. So it's one because it's one of three things. It's either one, he read some source that taught, told them this way, which is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Two, uh, he got it wrong. <laughs> he just misremembered <laughs> it. <laughs> and three, he's telling it wrong on purpose. Like he he's made up a new version of the myth of Hercules that he's using to tell this story in this speech. And he has crafted it to be so impactful and effective and appropriate you know, and poetical that like it will exist in terms of being a story, which is when you think about the fact this guy's playing Kang the Conqueror is perfect, right? Like that's what the comic book stories are doing, right? They have to, they have to be new. They can't just be the same story you saw before, but they also kind of have to be the same story that you saw before. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you kind of reinterpret the same story over and over again? Um, you know, what, and in, in, in the sense that you're myth making, if myth making is telling the story over and over and over again and arriving at a kind of shared sense of, of, uh, of meaning for it that exists in a social context, you know, then, uh, then yes, the way that, that he tells it is also right, even if it's wrong, which is also, I think, something to be said about representation and like new voices and challenges in terms of cultural hegemony and circumventing and overcoming that kind of thing. Or, he just doesn't know any of the stuff and he's just making it up. Right. Like, uh, like, like, and it, and it doesn't, we don't need an answer. Um, uh, and, and it's, I think it's part of the beauty of the speech that the high and the low can coexist kind of effortlessly, uh, that like, yeah, maybe he just got it wrong. Maybe, maybe he's just giving a speech on the sidewalk, you know, in front of the Chinese theater or whatever, or, you know, the burgers place down the road, which is, I don't know where his star actually is. Um, and it's not that important to get Hercules' myth right. And you want to give a speech that gets the point across, right? Or maybe he did this very deliberately. I don't know. Um, but also, you know, <laughs> when he stops at the end of, of his big speech and, and, he, and, and he's like he – has, he makes a big excuse for the whole thing, right? He has this like – he has this wonderful little Robin shall restore amends moment where he kind of like just sort of you know shakes shakes his head a little bit and he says – I'm very happy about all this, right? And, and don't be talking, you know, and I won't use the S word because I don't want chili peppers on our podcast, but like, and don't be talking about it later, right? And this this idea that like, I'm embarrassed that I have overspoken so much. I'm embarrassed that I've been so elaborate and so effusive, uh, but, but I am overwhelmed with emotion, right? Um, you know, I, uh, I'm very happy about this. And don't be talking about it later, um, which takes you also from, the sense of personal joy to the intimacy of friendship. I mean, there's an expression of male friendship. If you've ever heard one, you know, like, uh, the immediate guard against somebody insulting you, you know, because you expressed your emotions alongside a very earnest and intense expression of emotions. Um, I mean, the point is, I think it works. I think it's great. And I like that these potential explanations for it all coexist. Um, I, uh, yeah, and like the coincidence of the twelve labors of Hercules and the twelve rounds in a boxing match, um, like I hear that, I'm like, well, that's sort of true, I guess. I it makes me think more about the fifteen rounds and the <laughs> old championship rules, but like whatever, it's fine. Um, I'm sure it's kind of true, uh, you know. And um, 
But yeah, but it, it doesn't have to all be true. Yeah, but not the, yeah, exactly. I was about to say, not the point. Not the point. Yeah, not the point. Also, nothing that they're doing is they're actors. It's all it's, they're doing. They do make them ups as their as their livelihood. Not to diminish it, but also to say like they dwell in fictions mm. uh, and the meaning and, and importance of fictions. If they didn't believe fictions were important, they wouldn't believe what they're doing is important. Mm. Um, so I am glad that I learned a little bit about Canoga Park. <laughs> this podcast. If that's that's if you take nothing else away from uh, <laughs> from the podcast, take away that uh, Canoga Park is you know um, uh, we, uh, is west of of Reseda. Um, Pete, we might have to leave it. We might have to leave it there. But uh, you know, this has been great talking uh, talking with you about this. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's something about this since overthinking it is your smart, funny friends from the internet, because we are foremost a community of friends, you know, who have kind of been with each other through some, some great highs and some low lows, you know? Uh, I think that, that expressions of friendship touch us, you know, and, and are kind of appropriate fodder for the, uh, for the podcast. So thank you. I, I appreciate you bringing this, uh, bringing this back to me. My, my brother, you know, I love you. My God, a God, Pete Fenzel. When Pete <laughs> Fenzel entered the, you know, what, what, what happened when they threw Pete Fenzel off the roofs of Troy? <laughs> Is that in that moment, he stopped, he yeah. stopped. And there was a title card that said three weeks earlier. Yeah. <laughs> And we How sm- do I get in this situation? Smash- Record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> wiki wiki remix. Yeah, and we yeah. smash, we smash back. And then, and Pete decided not to fall down to his death from, from the roofs of Troy, but he ascended into heaven straight up in the Fenzelian apotheosis. Sure. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve.